We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday night, December 11, 2023, as we record this new episode. Sorry for the slight delay as I just got back from my vacation in San Diego and all anyone can talk about is the blockbuster move in Major League Baseball. That's right. The Chicago White Sox traded for a catcher. I kid, of course. It's all about Shohei Otani and the crazy $700 million contract that was signed. And the crazier part is that $680 million of that is deferred. Could we see more contracts like Otani's in the near future, say like Juan Soto next year? And could this be a free agent signing tactic that Jerry Reinsdorf for the Chicago White Sox could implement? Of course, we'll talk about the trade the White Sox made for catcher Max Sassy and how it impacts the White Sox catching situation for 2024. There are other Major League Baseball news items too. Yoshinobu Yamamoto's free agency is heating up and the Dodgers and Yankees make an interesting trade involving shortstop prospect Trey Sweeney. Lots to discuss, so let's get started. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, we finally got a free agent prediction right. We did. Uh, and I'm glad that with Shohei Otani that uh, Dave Roberts was not punished for speaking basic <laughs> truths about the Dodgers having some interest in meeting with them. Like, you know, that part I thought was overblown. I could understand like the whole, you know, not wanting to, you know, every single move documented and detailed and such like a free agent courtship process, but like to have like, uh, you know, either GM or manager, like just have to issue no comments or like risk lying. And Dave Roberts, like, I don't want to lie. Like I, I'm uncomfortable doing this for that long and just like answering politely, uh, without divulging too much, you know, like if the Blue Jays signed him, you'd have a whole bunch of Dodgers fans saying like, I can't believe Dave Roberts sabotaged it. And so I think for that reason, uh, and, and probably that reason alone, I'm, I'm happy that he's with the Dodgers. Otherwise, like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent to where he landed aside from, as you mentioned, being correct on the uh, free agent prediction. 
Speaking of being correct, and we'll talk about the contract in a moment, but just the way this whole free agency saga was reported, like, again, I'm on vacation at San Diego, and it's Friday night, and during the day, Shohei Otani supposedly is on a flight to Toronto, Jim, Mm -hmm. and ends up not being his plane, and over the weekend, you have reporters apologizing Bob Nightingale decided to choose violence in his Sunday column in the USA Today, pretty much just spilling the beans on how anyone in baseball breaks news of free agent signings and trades. 95% of it is coming from the agents. So there you Mm -hmm. go. Uh, There's no secrecy anymore. The secret sauce has been out on display. And even Nightingale touched on something that was very popular in Chicago, especially when it comes to the Cubs and why Jed Hoyer and Nightingale had a conversation in Nashville before Hoyer spoke to the media had nothing to do with Otani. Instead, it had to deal with Chris Morrell and the Tampa Bay Rays at a possible trade for Tyler Glass now. And it was really eye-opening that Bob Nightingale went in that direction. So Jim, as a newspaper vet and someone that has been writing about the White Sox, for what is it now 17 16 years yeah 17 17 years Mm -hmm. what do you make of the way that this whole free agency journey of Shohei Otani was covered by baseball either nationally or locally I think it was the normal characteristics of a hot stove pursuit uh, just taken to like two or three fold extreme. Like I'm thinking like Bryce Harper or something like that, where you have the free agent tours and the uh, footage or the photos of people going all out or the details of who's picking them up and where they're going for dinner, that sort of thing. Like that's always been a part of it. And it's always been, you know, who's feeding this information, who's more likely to benefit from it. But with Otani, just the radio silence did lead yeah, you had Dodgers Nation blog with J.P. Hornstra, who is a uh, BBWA member, and he was uh, part of the OC Register uh, newspapers that you know Southern California newspaper group, who you know credentialed reporter who you know went on a limb. You had John Morosi uh, going out and saying that uh, Otani was on a, a flight to Toronto, and he apparently never left Southern California. So you had these you know big names, or at least credible names, not bloggers, not Reddit sources, not wet but twenty three who were going out and, and doing this. And then like, he'd be just because like there was, I think either something to be gained, you know, if you're trying to like be a reporter making a name for himself and figuring there's a 50, 50 chance of getting it right. And the details are, you know, more or less like, you know, you can say things changed because, you know, anonymous sources only gave you part of the story, but it, yeah, I, I think it just drove some people to be like, I got to get this first or nothing's happening. This is my moment. Or just, you know, a lot of information, a lot of time to sit with information and wonder whether to, uh, to go live with it. And so I think this is what just drove some reporters. Nightingale wasn't the only one. Ken Rosenthal on the Foul Territory segment on AJ Pierzynski's YouTube show said the same thing. Like just, you know, are we spending time doing the right things in the off season when it comes to like, are we chasing cheap stories? Or are we, you know, should we be doing something more substantial? It's kind of like reminds me of 
political coverage, the horse race coverage, the poll numbers and saying like, oh, you really need to talk about issues. And then, you know, they, they just kind of default back to polls because those are easy. Those are you know, those get a lot of traction. And same thing with rumors like, um, you know, John Morosi wrote, wrote about this on Monday morning saying like the during the winter meetings, you know, he talked about having Went Merrifield on MLB Network and how he was at the GM meetings. Then like a day later, he says, you know, the White Sox could be a good fit for Went Merrifield. And like, obviously, that seems to be at least coming from the player or the agent or just, you know, thinking about a reporter who maybe shouldn't be tying together players and teams idly doing so. And we wouldn't think anything of it because it just seems to be the way national reporters go about their business this time of year. But I think, you know, Otani just, there was some stooping to, I think, uh, big misses that make it harder for all reporters to do their jobs. So I, I think that's maybe why there was a little bit of uh, frustration, just, you know, whether it's players breaking their own news again or just anytime somebody has a scoop saying, well, uh, you know, they got Otani wrong. You know, when you blow a story this this size that badly, then it makes it hard to like, you know, for a lot of reporters to be trusted on, you know, when they're the first to break news and maybe it takes a while to be corroborated by other sources. So not the best thing for the industry. And so I think that's why you saw the frustration, but I also don't see many habits changing because of this, just because it is easy to get, Hey, what's an update in this guy? I'm going to tweet this or, you know, write a story. It gets circulated around and, uh, you know, the editors are happy that their newsmakers are making news or newsbreakers, I should say, are breaking news. And I think that reward is probably too great to really overhaul the off season and turn it into like really thoughtful, substantiated stories that, uh, you know, take time and effort to report or maybe take time and effort and you don't report them because you can't quite get enough. It just, remember when we were having the conversations about Paul DeYoung, when we got that information mm -hmm. and how like, like the rule of thumb is try to vet it with two sources. And we were very careful and how we reported the White Sox interest and the mutual interest between Paul Dion and the Chicago White Sox. Eventually that came out that that did happen, but we didn't report it as, oh, this is going to happen. We reported it as the White Sox are targeting Paul Dion. That doesn't mean that they're going to sign Paul Dion. He is a possibility, mm -hmm. but they're targeting him. And when it comes to like news with Shoei Itani, like I get it to say these are the suitors. These are the teams most interested in him. But to say that he's on a flight and everyone's tracking that flight from Anaheim to Toronto and it ends up being one of the Shark Tank judges' personal plane uh, that's got the name on the plane. <laughs> and it's not even Otani. Mm -hmm. And for someone just to come out and say officially that the Toronto Blue Jays have signed Shoei Otani it just makes it so difficult to trust those people moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that's all this business is, especially if you are in the news breaking business is trust. And in the biggest story, the biggest free agent signing in league history. And I, I kind of feel bad for some people, but again, I don't because this is decisions that they made. And this is, I, I I'm with you. I don't think any lessons are going to be learned, but man, if we did this, Jim, if we were that far off, we'd be crucified. Well, for that's kind of how they're going to yeah. get dusted off and nothing happened. Well, I'm really fascinated as a cautionary tale for 
us to follow what happens with Dodgers Nation, uh, especially with like Hornstra in his first week with that site. Um, you know, going from being a credentialed reporter to a standard newspaper to being somebody who's being a credentialed reporter for a fan site or a blog, you know, first week on the job, really whiffing on the story. And then like the apology afterwards wasn't really an apology. It was just kind of this convoluted, pretentious uh, thing that started with the metaphor of the biosphere. Um, you know, I acknowledge the, the reaction that this caused, but, you know, acknowledging is just like, you know, that's not an apology. Uh, but, you know, I'm curious just as like to learn from it uh, when a an outlet that does not have the credibility of a USA Today or an ESPN or a New York Times or what have you, Baltimore Sun and Ken Rosenthal's case, you know, where you came from, uh, when you, uh, you know, when maybe the only time people have ever heard of you is when you really whiff on a story. Um, I, I'm curious to see how they rebound, if they rebound, if it's just their mentions are a a garbage heap of trash talkers from here on out, like every single uh, tweet, every single comment section. I imagine like maybe they want to do like an ISP bl- a ban from uh, from Canada <laughs> to uh, block access to you know, make sure that, you know, you, you kind of cleaned up there. But yeah, it's, I, yeah, I, like you said, I don't feel sorry for them, but I can, I can put myself in their shoes to a certain extent of being like, oh, what if I, you know, what if we, a small operation that not a whole lot of people know outside the White Sox fear, uh, missed on a story this badly in front of everybody to see. And that's the first time they hear of you. And maybe the only time they hear of you or the only thing they associate with you, no matter what you do for years. Yeah. And we use our real names. We don't hide behind, you know, fast food, fast casual sandwich accounts uh, on Twitter because we're employees of the Chicago White Sox or uh, we are related to minority owners and we are sharing information that we're hearing in, in passing conversations. It's just, yeah, the, the sports world and people trying to break news because obviously those tweets go viral and all of a sudden you really build up your Twitter base the amount of people that follow you or whatever social media platform. Like I get it. I get that high, but man, we'll, we'll see what happens. But that was like one of my big takeaways from the Otani signing is just how awful the reporting was concerning it. And then on a Monday night, we get details. The athletic was the first report and it was backed up by ESPN's Jeff Passan and just how this contract breaks down. It was first reported that when Otani signed a $700 million contract with Los Angeles Dodgers, that's a number that's still difficult for me to comprehend. Awesome for Otani. But the way it breaks down is just amazing. In the next 10 seasons, from 2024 to 2033, Shohei Otani is going to get paid $2 million by the Los Angeles Dodgers. I got to get that straight. Los Angeles Dodgers, not Angels. $2 million. And then when he's like 40, 2034 to 2043, when the 10-year contract expires, the Dodgers are going to pay Otani $68 million a year. And how it breaks down is that the collective bargaining tax amount for the Dodgers is a total of $460 million. So over the next 10 seasons, it's $46 million for the Dodgers against the, the luxury tax. And you're wondering, what about the other couple hundred million dollars? It doesn't count. 
does not count for the Dodgers, just at $460 million. So before you call Otani crazy for this type of deal because of the time and the value of money, and we just talked about this, what was the deal that, uh, oh, Liam Hendricks, when the White Sox decided to not pick up the mm-hmm. option, it ends up being cheaper over time because of inflation. Like two and a half million. So Otani, you may say, dude, you're costing yourself some money here. It is already being reported that Shohei Otani next season and probably for the following seasons is going to make between 40 to $50 million in endorsements. So do not worry about Shohei Otani's checking account. He's going to be doing fine. And as long as he's playing for the Dodgers, money is not going to be concerned for him as he's going to get paid lots in retirement. And we'll see if he stays in the United States or moves back to Japan. But Jim, this contract, it's already one of a kind because of the total amount of the deal. But the way that it's structured, and it sounds like this idea came from Otani himself, man, what do you think about this contract? Well, I owe uh, our friend English Sox Colin an apology because he wrote in a P.O. Sox mailbag saying, our team's creative enough when it comes to seeking an edge via abusing the MLB fanatical system. For instance, for example, our financial system, I think he meant to say, uh, for example, I'm a rich owner, but don't like my roster. Next year, I'm going to give Soto $400 million over 10 years, but pay $200 million in year one. Luxury tax-wise would be $40 million a year, so you wouldn't ruin you tax-wise. I'm rich, so it's just money. We're seeing this on the opposite end where all the money is backloaded in terms of you know paying those in insane amounts annually afterwards but the same uh process holds and i kind of downplayed it my answer saying well it's you know kind of a cartel of owners and usually you don't have that much boat rocking from one owner because they tend to close loopholes in a hurry um we've seen this in other sports like in the nhl like Ilya kovachuk you know his deal with just like signing guys way beyond their usable or useful years hockey wise to uh, spread out the money you know that far uh, down the road in order to lessen the cap hit and you know they've closed holes there and i think it's gonna be the same thing with baseball where like when this happens they tend to introduce new punitive measures pretty quickly so i would imagine that most of the league isn't happy with this and maybe even like the players association might not be terribly pleased with it in terms of just how much money uh otani is deferring and how much he's getting paid like on our site uh noxfire said that he's getting paid less than the white Sox are paying larry garcia in 2024 uh which is you know remarkable to think about (laughs) it's just uh you know i think you know it makes sense for some players but also I think it might put pressure on some players to make less than they want to be making in a given amount of time and pushing money way down the road when maybe for one reason or another, uh, they don't want to defer that much money. And, you know, when I saw 700 million as the contract and like blowing the previous uh, high out of the water, now it's kind of more in line with a natural step up being like 460 or so in, you know, actual you know, real 2024 money. So that kind of makes more sense. But yeah, I think both sides might have reason to complain about this. If it ends up being like Juan Soto, are you pressured into accepting a lot of deferred money rather than having the money up front to invest however you want to and, and, and getting the money as you see fit? Like I can see both players and owners having problems with this, but it's probably 
in the player's interest to let the owners fight amongst themselves uh, when CBA time comes up, because like ultimately I think players can get paid the way they want to more or less, you know, maybe it's about like 10 million or 12, you know, 20 million or so over the course of those mega deals uh, that they might be arguing about. Whereas like with teams here uh, deferring that much money, that does really, it is shenanigans uh, right now. It's legal shenanigans, but I think they won't last all that long. There's already one Otani rule in the CBA. We may get two Otani rules in the CBA, Jim, with what you are explaining. And I, I could see that. I, I'm with you. I think there's going to be a lot of owners not happy with the Los Angeles Dodgers for this particular contract. The Players Association, mm-hmm. I think they'll just like, they may shrug and say you should probably pay yourself a little bit more. Yeah. But Otani's doing this to help the Dodgers because mm-hmm. he wants to win and he's going to get his money. And yeah. when you include the endorsement money, like Shohei Otani's going to be a billionaire, Jim. He he's going to make a billion dollars playing Yeah, no, baseball. I can see that. I think it just, you know, if you were the players uh, association, you don't want it to trend too far into like being like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, where you're deferring salary in order to fit players under the salary cap. I think if you feel, make it feel more and more like a salary cap, uh, that's probably not in the interests or best interests of the players themselves. So that's why they may want to discourage this kind of behavior just because like, Oh yeah. Like if I accept less money, then they could pay spread more money around. But the players union might say it is if you take less money, that's just less money. They're paying players. Ultimately, like it's an excuse. It's a way they can pressure uh, star players into taking less than what they're owed in a given year. So the Dodgers are going to be rolling with Mookie Betts, who's now a second baseman full time moving into next season. Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani, catcher Will Smith and Max Muncie is their one through five next year. (laughs) Max Muncie is probably going to hit like. 30 homers and what drive in 125 and bat 210 <laughs> just because of the guys that are hitting in front of them. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, say what you will about this contract and what the amount that the Dodgers are paying, but Jim, the Dodgers have Shohei Otani and nobody else does. And they flex their financial might or what they still hope is financial might 10 years from now, but they're probably going to make a, what the Dodgers, you know, I just said that Otani's going to be a billionaire playing baseball the Dodgers are going to make what a billion dollars just off on Otani with the sponsorship and the advertising revenue coming, not just from locally in Los Angeles, the second biggest media market in the country, uh, but from Japan. Like I think the Dodgers are just, they're not going to do just fine with this deal. They they're probably thrive. Mm -hmm. I think that's why you saw the blue Jays in it too, because of Rogers communication owning the blue Jays. Like they have a whole lot of reason to, spend that much because of endorsements because of you know should they want to uh you know share their network or something like that if they can arrange it with uh, overseas with japan uh their their streaming rights or broadcast rights like there's possibility for revenue there uh so like when the blue jays were considered a favorite or like co-favorites uh there was some hand wringing over you know are they going to pay him less than he's owed baseball wise, but then like a tremendous amount in endorsements themselves and be a way to work around the CBA just because like it's $700 million from Rogers, no matter what, it's just 300 million is the baseball and 400 million is 
cell phones or whatnot or cable or whatnot. So like I, you know, both sides, I think, had reason to um, more or less see the down payment on Otani, basically, it was what this contract is for all the revenue opportunities it opens up elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, I think the Cubs might have had a way to leverage that a little bit, although they, you know, they just would have had to pay an insane amount. And really only the Dodgers and the Mets really are those teams that really spend that much now, especially since the Yankees have been more careful about the way they go about business and more conservative and more tisk tisking other teams for breaking the rules or or overspending the way that they used to. Well, speaking of the Yankees, let's talk about Juan Soto and the Chicago White Sox for a moment here, because since we have learned that deferred money can be limitless, I'm thinking next offseason, Jim, the Chicago White Sox, specifically Jerry Reinsdorf, should offer Juan Soto a 14-year, $500 million contract with $400 plus million of that deferred. And uh, the way I'm thinking after you know, 14 years, which Juan Soto would be 39 because he's just 25 years old still, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry Reinsdorf would be 102 years old before those deferred payments kicked in. So I'm not really thinking so much that this would be a problem for Jerry. This is a problem for future owners of the Chicago White Sox having to pay out that deferred money to Juan Soto. But nonetheless, you could have Juan Soto for 14 seasons if you offered a similar contract. I don't know if you'd be willing to accept that type of deferment. Shohei Otani has Los Angeles Dodgers, but... I'm wondering, can this be a plausible strategy for the Chicago White Sox? We've been raking them for years that they refuse to sign any players to nine-figure contracts or anyone above $100 million. Maybe this is the way to do it. Maybe the Dodgers have given the blueprint for the White Sox to make these types of big free agent splash signings. Well, it's almost like the Dodgers ran with the Liam Hendricks blueprint and then some in terms of like, wow, that's a lot of deferred money. And then like, well, what if we uh, multiply it by 40 <laughs> each year, basically, and do it that way? Like it's it's a completely different animal, but along the same lines. And what that reminds me of is the Marlins when they went on that spending spree in 2012 with Mark Burley and Heath Bell and Jose Reyes, was it? the? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jose Reyes. And you're talking about, oh, they've spent 100 plus million, Jeffrey Loria, spending way more than the Marlins have ever spent. Wow, this is unbelievable. And then like after one year, he trades them all. So basically he paid like them, I would say something like 25 million of the hundred and something million they were owed. And then like, yeah, I'm I'm fine trading the rest for like nominal returns just because I got what I wanted, which was just the short-term boost and paying players a little less than what they're owed because they were backloaded contracts. So he got the best year from them and then shipped them along for a returns that didn't really transform the fortunes anyway, but he didn't have to pay them. So We've kind of seen that spirit before of like underpaying and then like with the idea of not seeing the whole thing through. This is just, yeah, it, it, it everything is amplified to the point where like I can't see this being a trend to where like Juan Soto gets it and everybody else gets it, which is maybe why like if I'm the Yankees, you know, maybe it's a case where Soto doesn't get to free agency. If they're trying to get ahead of this, like if they can arrange a similar deal, like why wouldn't they do this now or try to do it now yeah. uh, before the uh, the door and it closes? Because they don't want the Yankees to hold on to Juan Soto, Jim. The White Sox need one. <laughs> yeah, that's a pipe dream. That's not going to happen. I just, 
I just kind of chuckled, like thinking about this through. I'm like, wow, Shohei Otani is willing to do this. Would anyone else do this? And would the White Sox even entertain this type of thinking? Specifically, again, Jerry Reinsdorf, like you're 87, man. So what if you sign someone to a 10-year contract and 90% of that contract is deferred? You're probably not going to be around having to pay that. That's future owner problem. That's mm-hmm. not Jerry Reinsdorf problem. Uh, just, I'm just trying to find ways to encourage yeah. the White Sox to spend some big cash. It would seem like the way they do it, and you know, it just it seems like they would do it for an Andrew Benintendi grade player <laughs> versus like the best, the, the the most freakish player to ever play the game. Yeah, which is why, like, yeah. I think if it were limited to Otani, people wouldn't necessarily mind too much because, like. You haven't seen anybody like him before or since like Babe Ruth and you won't see one since probably like it's hard to imagine anybody like him popping up anytime ever again. So like I can understand. Yeah, I think I think the um, the specialness of the player makes a lot of things forgivable. But yeah, when it starts bleeding down into like the uh, second tier and third tier free agents to just, you know, keep uh kicking money down the road, especially like who knows, maybe this becomes a popular option with those kind of players because of all the uncertainty with broadcasts. Maybe they're saying like, Oh, by the time, you know, we're going to take a hit with revenue while we figure out this whole streaming thing. But when we feel like we have confidence in our model, that's when we can start paying players again. So here's Andrew Benintendi getting paid uh, $3 million and then getting paid $12 million somewhere down the road in a, in a lump sum uh, because we figure that we'll finally be good for it. And it does feel a little bit Reinsdorfy, but like, again, like it's just like the, the vision or the ambition would be lacking to really like put it to that good of a use. Well, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, we'll talk about the second trade between the Chicago White Sox and the, and the Atlanta Braves involving new catcher, Max Stassi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. 
Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Well, we figured another trade between the Atlanta Braves and the Chicago White Sox could be coming with the possibility of Dylan Cease going back home. But during the winter meetings, the Braves squashed that idea. Instead, the Braves acquired David Fletcher from the Los Angeles Angels. And then the Braves turned around and traded catcher Max Stassi to the Chicago White Sox, along with some money for a player to be named later. Stassi missed 2023 because of injury and unfortunate news with his newborn son, Jackson, as he was born premature and is having to deal with several health issues. Hopefully everything is all right moving forward with Jackson and his dad can return to baseball with everyone involved healthy. Now, Jim, we did wonder how Chris Katz was going to handle adding another catcher to the roster. I really did think for a while Salvador Perez was going to be traded to the Chicago White Sox. And then there was the rumors about Martin Maldonado during the winter meetings of being a possible target for the White Sox. Instead, they trade for Max Stassi. Why do you think that is? I think the White Sox had like a whole bunch of options in free agency with, you know, Maldonado, Austin Nola, um, you know, Andrew Kisner, like a whole bunch of uh, second tier catchers like Austin Hedges just signed with the uh, Guardians for $4 million for a year. So like a bunch of equal or you know, slightly better, slightly worse catchers on the market. And when it comes to like Stassi, he's basically a free agent because it's for a player to be named later. Uh, so it's like yeah, probably somebody nominal at best. Yeah, I assume it's not going to be another Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, but like I, I think you can treat it basically as signing one of those free agents to like a $1 million deal or a $2 million deal because it does seem like the Braves are paying most of his freight. So like with that in mind, you know, if you're trying to acquire a free agent catcher, you do have to say like, well, we think you're going to be playing this much or we think that, you know, we have Corey Lee and we have Carlos Perez, but we really want to see you like in more in a mentor role. Uh, maybe you're getting like 30% of the playing time or 50%, 60%, like whatever you have to come up with a probably some kind of initial number to sell them on a, an opportunity, unless it's like Paul DeYoung and you're just happy to get a major league contract and that more or less determines like how eager you are to sign. But, uh, when you trade for a guy like Stassi, like he has no choice. Like he's getting paid, um, you know, well enough, 7 million. Um, so like he's on the White Sox now. He did not have a choice in coming to the White Sox. So like the White Sox can more or less tell him what it's going to be. Now, I don't think they're going to be told jerks about it and say like, ah, ha ha, uh, we uh, shortcut your autonomy, uh, get ready to play 30 games this year. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think they're happy to have him if he is able to bounce back. But I think that's kind of the spirit of it is like they kind of got an equal player to the unremarkable catching options, the veteran catching options that were in the market. And they decided to go with a guy who maybe has a bit of upside because for the two years prior to 2022 he was actually really good just had some injuries but around those injuries like he was an above average hitter for a catcher really good framer pretty good block and throw guy so like 
he did everything you want to see. And like over the course of like a full season, he was like a three win catcher more or less, which is good for what he's being paid. So I think they're trying to bank on that kind of upside, which none of the other catchers in that tier uh, had. And, you know, I, I don't know if you can count on that coming back because he's going to be, you know, even deeper into his 30s, didn't play at all last year, was really rough uh, in 2022. But there is more mystery there as opposed to somebody like Austin Nola or Hedges who's like, he can receive, but he's not going to hit at all. So there is some upside there. Um, he was really well regarded as a um, pitch caller and framer and everything like that. Like before those numbers became really integrated into catcher value and different you know, win models. Like he was more or less like one of the forebears of uh, you got to look into more than, you know, hitting and catcher ERA when you're looking into like what a catcher brings to a team. So I hope they're, yeah, or I think they're hoping that they see something along those lines. And then it's more a matter of like, how good is Corey Lee? How good is Carlos Perez to pair with them? And then, depending on whether Stassi bounces back, whether uh, Lee takes that big step forward, whether Perez takes that smaller step forward to be a credible number one option for a team that's uh, not contending. I think, you know, the White Sox have some options here. I think, who would you say is a starter right now? Like if you were to make your hypothetical 26 man roster opening day lineup, is Stassi the, the opening day catcher for the White Sox right now as we talk in mid-December? Or do you think the White Sox are still hoping that Corey Lee takes the reins as the starting catcher? I think right now it would be Stassi. Like, I don't know what the White Sox see in Corey Lee, at least based on what we saw last year coming back from the oblique injury what in Charlotte and then in Chicago. Like, I'm not writing him off entirely. I, I think, you know, he's been a little bit up and down over his career. And I think like he came back from injury and like, okay, you know, we're going to ramp up the degree of difficulty here. But I just, you know, the offensively didn't see a whole lot of strong contact. Not that great of a receiver. Good throwing guy, can block, really athletic for a catcher, runs really well. Some things to like, but I think the things to not like really overwhelm uh, the pluses he brings right now. And I just haven't seen like, the kind of signs of life, it would be blind faith, I think, or like uh, a version of Lee that we haven't seen with the White Sox to say like, he's going to be the guy. Like I have more faith in Carlos Perez just because I've seen more of the strengths with the White Sox and with the Charlotte Knights and with the Birmingham Barons over the course of his career to where like I've seen what he looks like when he's going well, whereas with Lee, since he's been a member of the White Sox organization, has never had that kind of role to where like, ah, I get it. You know, like it, it could be a case of just him never quite developing and they just wanted to get out from under Kendall Graveman's contract obligation. He was the most promising player available at that time. And he's more or less like, eh, Edgar Caro is coming up. Adam Hackenberg's coming up as a defensive option if you want him sooner rather than later. So that's why like, I'm not all in on Lee just yet as being like taking that next step to be like a number one starter or even like a number two catcher necessarily. Like I've liked Perez more than the White Sox have. Like there's might be reasons why they don't like him, but just, it feels like that Lee has gotten more plate appearances in his brief audition than Perez has gotten in his cups of coffee over the last two years. Like I, I imagine that's telling, but I also don't think Lee has done anything to distinguish himself to where I'm writing off Perez just yet. Moving over to other major league baseball news. 
And, of course, the other Japanese pitching phenom, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Market is finally heating up as he is in the United States now. Again, there's the posting window. Still have some time for Yamamoto to make a decision, but we've already heard that Steve Cohen of the New York Mets flew to Tokyo to meet with Yamamoto. We have heard Brian Cashman during the season flew to Japan to watch Yamamoto start. So we know the New York teams are hot and heavy for Yamamoto. We have now been, we've read and heard that the San Francisco Giants have been speaking with Yamamoto. The Dodgers still could be interested in Yamamoto, especially the way that Shohei Otani set up his contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. There are many teams that are involved with Yamamoto here, Jim. And whatever contract he signs is probably going to way surpass my expectations of what he was going to be signing before free agency started. I thought it was a little weird that more than $200 million was the expectation for Yamamoto. I thought that was a bit steep for a 25-year-old, even though Yamamoto pitched incredibly well in Japan, and especially during the World Baseball Classic. Now I have no idea what the number could be. Maybe he signs for a Garrett Cole type of contract. That would really shock me as someone that doesn't have any experience in Major League Baseball. But we've seen big contracts before, before playing in Major League Baseball from Japan. When it comes to Yamamoto, though, from a White Sox perspective, and I'm sorry for breaking White Sox fans' hearts, uh, the White Sox are not involved uh, in conversations with Yamamoto. Another promise kept, Jim, Mm -hmm. is... We, we were told at the winter meetings that Otani is the large domino and that that has fell and we could see other moves happening here. But we're really interested in wondering when is Dylan Cease going to get traded? Is Yamamoto that domino? As soon as he signs, then the teams that missed out on Otani and Yamamoto quickly pivot and blow up Chris Getz's phone before Christmas. Perhaps like him or Blake Snell maybe are the two guys I'm thinking who offer that kind of upside uh, start to start uh, could be the ones who uh, change uh, the way teams go about looking at Dylan Cease. But maybe like the Dodgers, I think it might be more of a team specific thing than maybe a whole market specific thing. Like if the White Sox are waiting to see what the Dodgers do, you know, the Dodgers, you know, because they need pitching still because Otani can't help them there yet. If he's going to be like, uh, or if the Dodgers are going to be, in on Yamamoto and sign him, like maybe Cease's market becomes even more competitive because one, you know, Cease is getting paid, uh, what, 25 million ish over the next two years projected through arbitration to where like he could, Dodgers can still afford him, uh, theoretically. Like he fits in everybody's payroll, whether it's the Dodgers, whether it's the Orioles, whether it's, you know, even like the Royals if they wanted to, uh, based on, you know, how wide of a net they're casting for pitching, but just, um, you know, the the cool thing about Cease and why he has unique value is that like he's getting paid for uh, an acceptable amount for every budget, Kenta Maeda money basically for the next two years. Uh, and like somebody like Tyler Glass now isn't, somebody like Shane Bieber isn't, or they're only under contract for one year instead of two. So um, I can see like, you know, if Yamamoto signs and like they can't do any kind of crazy deferment, then like, yeah, maybe it becomes a case of like the Dodgers really having to um, tighten their belts elsewhere when it comes to additions. But like, 
Uh, Cease can still fit in that. And I think like if Yamamoto signs with the Mets or something like that, then maybe Cease becomes even more appealing because like they have prospects. They've they've added one uh, recently that, uh, of note with the with the deal they swung with the Yankees to open up roster space. Like they keep adding guys who might be interesting to the White Sox and their farm system, whether it's pitching, infielders, outfielders, et cetera, that uh, can help a deal get done. So I think for some teams... Yamamoto might be a reason why they're not considering Cease yet. Uh, other teams should be in on him all along. And, you know, if I'm the, like, say I'm the Orioles and you have the players to get a Cease deal done without feeling it too much. And you can get that deal done before the Dodgers get desperate. Like, I wonder if that's a case of just, you know, maybe it maybe becomes a little bit more urgent for some teams, but I'm wholly speculating here because like we've seen the Orioles not be motivated at all to add big ticket free agents or, you know, even trade targets. And they've gotten by with it so far to where like, huh, we've been wrong. So maybe we'll be wrong again. Yeah. You mentioned that prospect the Dodgers acquired from the New York Yankees, that shortstop Trey Sweeney, which for those that attended Eastern Illinois university, he is an alum there. He's originally from Louisville, Kentucky, but was drafted in the first round a couple of years ago. From Eastern Illinois and last year in Double A in the Yankees farm system, Sweeney hit 252 with a 367 on base percentage, slugged just 411 though. He had 90 strikeouts in the season, but did draw 65 walks in 100 games as he hit 13 homers with 20 doubles and had 49 RBIs. Looked more like a contact with a high OBP type of guy. Sounds familiar. That's kind of Andrew Benatendi's profile is he'll be in the Dodgers' top 10 prospect list. But to your point, Jim, in this particular move, that was a little bit of a surprise and another creative move. Uh, the Yankees needed to shed some players off their 40-man roster to get the Juan Soto trade all squared away and their other moves as well before they start making other moves. And the Dodgers had non-40 guys that they were looking to move, and they add Trey Sweeney, who needs to be added to the 40-man roster and we know that Gavin Lux is coming back, but of course, with Andrew Friedman coming from the Tampa Bay Rays days, the Dodgers and those types of group thinking teams, they love to stockpile middle infielders. So the Dodgers could just keep Trey Sweeney because they like what they see from mm -hmm. Trey Sweeney. Maybe he is a super utility type of guy moving forward. But that did catch my attention as I was flying back from San Diego when this trade was announced between the Dodgers and Yankees that maybe this is another player if the Dodgers are not going to trade Gavin Lux because they need Lux to be their starting shortstop in 2024. Could the White Sox possibly be interested in some type of package that also involves Trey Sweeney? We'll, we'll have to see, but I'm feeling as soon as Yamamoto signs, it's Chris Getz don't make plans like the phone is probably off the hook already. It will definitely go off the hook depending on who signs Yamamoto. The Mets that you point out, Jim, that would be really interesting because none of their other moves right now suggest that they're going to be strong contenders for this upcoming season. They still have a lot of good players on their team, but they're clearly not spending like they did last year. But if they get Yamamoto, yeah, I think that really opens up the door for other contenders that have already made big moves to knock on the door of Chris Getz and see what they have to do to acquire Dylan Cease. Then again, I think we, we both thought that Cease was going to get traded already at this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, because we have a new general manager we're following here um, and we're learning his habits still, like, you know, I 
it seemed like the market was pointing towards uh, you know a C steel and you know again following the <laughs> actual writers to come full circle in terms of like how it's been covered. I think you know there's a lot about this um, this off season both with Otani and then with Yamamoto his free agency being delayed by the posting process and him entering the market a little bit later than like Blake Snell, who's already out there. Um, we are seeing the timing disrupted a little bit uh, to where, yeah, I, you know, it, it's a case of uh, uh, could be floodgates opening almost like a mini lockout in a way of just, you know, once uh, uh, Aaron Nola signed with the uh, back with the Phillies versus like seeking outside suitors uh you know going to the cardinals or the orioles or what have you like he just was content to stay with the phillies and so it didn't really open up the markets uh the starting pitching market as deep as it is really is uh all the activities towards the bottom right now of the market like the eric fetty uh kenta maeda etc like the one two-year deals etc that uh you know aren't affected by the market setting up top, like waiting for still the Blake Snell, Yamamoto, Jordan Montgomery, et cetera, to, you know, really shake up the market to then trickle down to like the Marcus Stroman's and whatnot. So like that's, there's been as deep as pitching market is, it is surprising that like nobody's moved, but I guess if Yamamoto is holding it up, then there is like a legit explanation for it aside from just uh, teams not being impressed so far with what they're hearing. Maybe we'll hear this upcoming week. That Yamamoto signs, perhaps that'll be the topic of our next Sox Machine podcast. But that will do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you for being patient as we're a day late uh, as far as posting this episode as I come back from vacation. No worries, I don't have a vacation scheduled for a few weeks, so we'll back be going back to our regular schedule. Of course, Christmas is coming up as well, so we'll keep you guys in the know when... Uh, future podcasts will be coming. And of course, we'll always hold our breath with the emergency podcast of the White Sox make a big move. But if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast into our YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. If you do watch our podcasts on our YouTube channel, please hit the subscribe button. We would greatly appreciate it. And you can follow us on social media, no matter what social media platform, at Socks Machine. You can follow me there as well, at Socks Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Really enjoy as far as the notes that we got on social media and emails for those that have recently signed up on Patreon to help support us with all of our coverage of the winter meetings. That means a lot, guys. Thank you so much for doing that. You can sign up at patreon.com slash machine where monthly plans start at $2, where you get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have special events like the curling event that we're going to have in February, that tickets are available now, Jim. Yep. Uh, still plenty of spots available, so please join us. Uh, let's go curling. Let's uh do something new. Let's do something fun. Sox Fest on Ice. Yes. So, again, we're going to be doing a lot more things for our Patreon supporters. So, if you do enjoy our work at Sox Machine and want to help support us, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're over all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? 
What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.